This is a Therapy for Dads podcast. I'm your host. My name is Travis. I'm a therapist, a dad, a husband. Here at Therapy for Dads, we're reclaiming the narrative of fatherhood, one story at a time. You can follow the journey on Instagram at Therapy for Dads and our website, www.therapyfordads.com. Welcome. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, John. Welcome to Therapy for Dads podcast. How are you doing this morning or afternoon? Hey, yeah. Afternoon for me. I'm, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing doing good. The the espresso has hit <laughs> and feeling awake and alive and, and ready to start talking. And um, <laughs> thanks for joining. And, and uh, let us know, the listeners, where are you virtually dialing in from? <laughs> yeah, so I'm in uh, Lincoln in England. So Lincoln is um, in Lincolnshire, in Lincolnshire, Lincolnshire, um, in the East Midlands. So we're kind of like two or three hours away from London. Um, so I'm in a little village outside of Lincoln even. So it's not even in Lincoln, um, kind of in the middle of nowhere. We're quite a rural county, lots of farming and agriculture. But uh, we're quite well known for a big cathedral. Um, and we're also well known for um, our RAF camps, so our, our Air Force camps. So a lot of the UK's um, kind of Air Force are based around here. So we may hear planes go over in the background because there's always testing and things. But um, but yeah, that's where I am over here, miles away. Okay. And it's one okay. twenty p.m. Just to let you all know. So you're up first early in the morning. And it's one twenty p.m. for me. Yeah, one twenty. Yeah, it's five five twenty in the morning for for me over <laughs> here in Southern California. So yeah, it's been a, that's been a beautiful part of the doing this show is meeting men and fathers literally across the globe. And you know, John being from Lincolnshire, and and I think I, did I say that right, Lincolnshire. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he said it's even a smaller. T- so how small is your little yes. like, village outside of that town? Yeah. So the town is probably got about 120,000 people in the city um it used to be very small so I grew up here as well and I moved away and came back and when I moved away there was about 50 60,000 people in the city um so it's very very small and it's grown a lot over the years with with sort of you know gentrification really and you know unis growing and things like universities growing and things like that so it's just brought more people to the city but my actual village is probably I don't know 2,000 people max I don't think it's much at all it's probably got a diameter of a couple of miles um you know I go running around the villages uh, and they all connect to each other locally so you know if I do a four mile run I can sort of touch on two three uh, villages within that so that's quite cool but yeah it's just really nice lovely landscapes lovely very safe environments for, for everything really great schools it's good mm. so and then you guys again are well known for the you said REF is that yeah. the it's REF oh was it Royal Royal Air Force okay yeah okay. wow so that's mm. that's your claim to fame your little, sort of yeah, yeah <laughs> sort yeah. of <laughs> yeah we sort of um we we kind of well known for different aircrafts and stuff the uh, red arrows you know with the uh, with the uh, kind of stuff coming out the bottom the red and blue and whatever you the the air oh sorry I've got a I've got a postman at the door bear with me a minute. Oh, <laughs> sorry about that. I couldn't have timed no. that worse, but it, you know what? It was it was a coffee supply, so it was more <laughs> coffee. So after all that, you know, we've got some more coffee coming. That's good. Is it? Uh, it was it an Amazon postman or no? Do you guys get Am- it was a Royal Amazon? Mail postman this time. Royal so, yeah. Mail. Okay. Do, so, do we do get Amazon? We get all the other ones too. But yeah, this is okay. Royal Mail. So. so Royal Mail. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we have mailman mail. 
the mailman. mailman. Yeah, yeah. Mailman, the mailman. And then we get Amazon and everything else. So, but good. You got a supply of coffee there. What? <laughs> and we were actually talking just in the green room, you know, yeah. since it's, we're real, <laughs> we, you know, we're fancy over here. The green room pre-show, we were talking about coffee and is it the virtual, is it the virtuo? Yeah, little. no, that's so. So, yeah, normally I'd say, yeah, it's, it's a package of Nespresso Virtuo, but this is actually something new I'm trying. So, I've got a little cafetiere for when I go into the factory for, for work, um, and I needed some ground coffee. And a guy, a guy put me onto a brand who are quite local actually. They're from Yorkshire, a couple of couple of hours away, and um, but they're called Big Dicks because the guy called the guy's called Richard who starts it. Mm. Um, so I've got a mug, a free mug with my first order, and it says John loves Big Dicks on the side of it. So that's, okay, yeah, that's, well, that's my delivery today. That's that's good. <laughs> that's definitely good. I could see who they're marketing to, you know, that <laughs> teenager and all, all yeah. or most men is uh, that, that exact humor. So, or <laughs> I you had know, to do it. I yeah. had to buy it. I had to. You had to pull the trigger on that one. Mm. Right? That's the, yeah. okay. I got to get Apparently this Apparently it's really, really strong coffee though. It's intense. It's like, okay. um, one of their bags that I've bought is actually the strongest coffee in the world, they think. So like strongest as far as caffeine or as in yeah, flavor so, or. So the content apparently is the highest ca- caffeine content before it gets silly before you get sort of ill from it kind of thing um, oh, wow. and apparently okay. it has a great robusta taste as well so okay we'll see well i guess that, that's good yeah i guess you have to have a review and see <laughs> yeah i'll let you know let me know is it uh, see if they ship to the states <laughs> yeah yeah it'll amazon may get it right and it'll show up they can do everything um is amazon i don't know why we're talking about this but is amazon as prolific over there with you yeah. guys is it yeah. is here okay huge yeah i get we get all sorts from amazon every day it's still got prime and stuff so yeah everything's huge over here massive wow. you can get anything you want next day so yeah yeah it's it's kind of to me i fully don't understand if i'm honest because we get stuff too like random things yeah. that you would think how is this how where is this stored stored yeah i literally was thinking this the other day like where are they storing this <laughs> like i mean it's not it's not even related it's just yeah. not in the difference like you guys just have this everywhere stocked and i get it <laughs> yeah. in 24 hours like yeah it is like magic i don't mm. again i don't fully get it but that's amazon can you tell us a little bit about um you know your instagram and kind of what you do and and kind of how we met so i run an instagram account called mh support for dads mental health support for dads um and i've run it for about two years um two and a half years and it's um was started when i was a new dad so i was uh kind of a couple of months into being a dad and I started it because uh, I wasn't so much struggling. So I wasn't in a journey where I needed support, but I knew people who were, and I was trying to support them, realizing I didn't really know how to help them um, mm. and wanted to signpost them, wanted to give them options. So I went, it was on World Mental Health Day. Um, so it would have been 2018. And I remember looking at, at Instagram, seeing all great, the, all these great mental health posts, you know, for, for men, for women, you know, children, all these great posts. And there was nothing really for dads. There was a lot for like pregnant women. There was a lot of resources out there for, you know, official sources for pregnancy, maternity, etc. But there was nothing that was just supportive or guidance or tips or how to father, you know, how to do things. So that sort of kind of both uh, made me feel quite sad, but also kind of gave me a bit of a uh, kind of uh, pumped me up to do something. So I was kind of like, right, okay. I'll start a page um, and I'll find the, the resources. So I'll go out and do a load of Googling and just find lots of things that are out there and I'll post them on my Instagram and I'll push this out and I'll connect with all the right people to help me get these messages out there. So that's how it started. And then about six months down the line, 
Um, I hit a bit of a wall with it, and it, it was just very sort of um, very sort of standard. Very sort of um, the messaging was quite colloquial. Um, there wasn't really much more I could do than what I'd already signposted. So I thought, well, and actually around that time, I was having a little bit of a bad time myself. You know, kind of five six months in, you know, you start to your child starts to change quite a lot, and there's a lot of change going on. And uh, I was having a really bad day with my own mental health, and I just thought, you know, what, I'm going to post about it. And I'm going to explain mm. it and I'm going to put a face to this account because it was completely faceless until then. Uh, so mm. I introduced myself to the account and it just blew up and it went crazy. And what I found about that was that really the anonymity of it was not connecting with people. It was just seen as another sign. You know, it wasn't really um, real. So, mm. yeah, I started to talk more on, my, on the account, I started to do lives, I started to connect. And because of that, lots of opportunities came to connect with some great people who were doing some great work in the UK around government legislation, around uh, lobbying parliament for more equality of maternity and antenatal rights and all that kind of thing for fathers. Um, but also just trying to get more support groups out there, more community support groups, more mental health support, more psychological support for men in lots of different areas. So I started to learn from all these people and started to connect with these people more often. Uh, we were in lockdown then, so it sort of offered me more opportunities to spend kind of any spare minute I had really just learning more and doing more. Uh, yeah, it just it kind of expanded from there. It gave me lots of opportunities to get involved in all that kind of work. Um, and then I sort of decided to take a step back from all that work. Um, and that's brought me to sort of the last six months to eight months where... I'm still doing the dad's page, but I also have my own company now locally where I'm doing men's mental health, but also kind of everyone's mental health support on a peer level. So we call Men Talk Links um, and it's called Men Talk because it was originally derived from the idea that we need to get men talking more. And that's all men of all ages. Um, but basically, we also decided to sort of have that spin of mental men talk links and just actually really cater for everybody because the messaging is the same it's just adhered and con you know and sort of like kind of promoted in different avenues in different ways you know we, we receive these messages differently to women for example yeah and it's just that's got that's gone crazy too that's growing really fast and i've got you know a board of directors and advisors and you know i've got kind of lots of funds coming in from charities people donating money lots of activities happening locally and we're seeing real change we're seeing i'm seeing actual people you know telling me that this is great and this is really helped them you know i had a really great testimonial a couple of weeks ago saying they changed i changed their life you know and mm. without sounding disingenuous you know you see a lot of testimonials like that for different promote different sort of activities and businesses and charities you don't really put put sort of much weight behind it you think oh that's great you know somebody wrote a testimonial about that when it's someone you're working with one-on-one -on -one, i'm sure you've had this as a therapist you know when you someone you're working with one-on-one -on -one and they've said that it was massive it was huge for me um, you know, I had a little tear up moment. I was mm. like, wow, you know, that's actually what it's about, you know, because I couldn't, the, the massive part of what we do is more signposting locally and more more growth of community development and peer groups and stuff. We're just trying to support that rather than do it all. Um, mm. But when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a client, I guess, if you want to call it a client and see that change and hear him say it, I was just like, you know head blown wow. so it was brilliant yeah. um so yeah that's that's kind of what i'm doing now i'm also kind of i have lots of different hats so i'm a trustee on a local maternity charity um so we're doing more um we're called lambs lincolnshire area maternity and birth support um so it's myself and a group of midwives uh caregivers people who are doing lots of different things like um in the in the community anyway um and what we wanted to do was to do the sort of 
non-standardized support so all the stuff that's built into the nhs is great but sometimes funding is a little bit hamstrung so mm. we would like to bring in we, we basically found that there's a lot of nice people out there who want to give their money to to make things better so we want to kind of coordinate that so my arm in that is the marketing arm because that's where I, that's my trade doing marketing and that's what i do for a living um, mm. but the second part of it is to ensure that mental health support is out there for men and women and everybody involved with maternity services and um, because mm. obviously there's great um, mental health support already but it can always be improved and directed and guided and those people who are involved in the services need more of a voice I think so so that's the other thing I do um yeah and I'm also kind of a, a governor locally as well they call it a governor it's not like a governor like you guys in the state where you like state governor and things like that. it's a little bit different it's a lot lower level um mm. but essentially governors are public voices so they are people who sit on boards involved in different areas and they get to have a say on the base of the people kind of almost kind of like councillors i guess or whatever you want to kind of call it in america i'm trying to think of the terminology if you have like kind of state elected officials and things like that but this is like yeah this is not an election uh, as such this is me putting my name forward to speak on behalf like of a, a group it's a volunteer but and people yeah. are saying yes this you'll be the voice of our group mm. and you're mm. the point is that what as you're the point person yeah. to communicate this to like our needs our yeah. desires are okay so, so yeah, my, my place on that board is the LPFT, which is a partnership trust. So uh, essentially that is all of the different uh, mental health provisions in Lincolnshire. They all connect as a, as a, uh, a kind of a professional kind of trust arrangement where they're all kind of, you know, they all work together to make sure they're delivered the same. And as Mentor Links grew, um, I put my name forward for this and they were like, yeah, you need to be on this board. So I kind of help and drive that official change as well as driving the community-led change. So it's, it's really great at the moment. I'm doing a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a hat that you decided to to wear and put on it and sounds like there is a void mm. within mental health specifically towards men and fathers yeah and then you saw this void said okay i want to be a signpost i want to help connect dads men with more resources and you mentioned you know the nhs has mental health resources but not enough and there's a lot more geared towards women mm. and mothers which is always great i mm. mean always nothing wrong with that however there was this void of enough for dads and we just need to get dads and then talking and then so you decided to start something and now yeah. finding real feedback and getting people like you said people who have money who want to help but don't know how yeah right and you've been getting okay here's how we can use these resources to help kind of fill this void and, and yeah. now you're getting really good feedback in the community and so can you like just quickly speak to that of oh yeah this is something that like within our mental health community like there is a void like can you speak a little bit more about that of what men and fathers yeah absolutely i think kind of over the last couple of years it's changed a lot but certainly over the last couple of years, certainly if you rewind about a year a year and a half it's not even that long um mm. i think the culture the kind of generalization of of men don't talk we don't have the opportunity to talk and um, we don't have spaces to talk we bottle everything up we are you know emotionally non-connected all of that in my community and certainly in the uk that was just the norm and just the thing and that's the way it was and there was no there was no opening to change that really um there was a lot of people trying to change it there's a lot of people talking you know high profile people talking about it you know there's obviously the the prince william sort of uh, kind of involvement with lots of mental health charities and things like that but a lot of it is kind of done in the right way for getting the message out there but there's not a lot done with regards to the actual practicalities of it so mm. essentially what i wanted to do and what i am doing uh, 
I wish I could do more, but I don't have enough time, um, is get some skills. So I've done a lot of training. I'm, I'm a trained counsellor now, and I have different peer uh, support qualifications and more awareness of mental health generally. And use that training alongside my own lived experience to enable others to use their lived experience to connect everybody and work together as kind of as kind of peers you know peer support mm-hmm. that traditional method of peer support and community development and how that looks versus what wasn't there well like you say there is a big void so it's it's something completely new and it, it is completely kind of welcomed in that respect there's nothing challenging it because there's nothing already there but mm-hmm. on top of that it's very supplementary and it joins up really nicely with the fact that a lot of the nhs led or official kind of systems that are in place have huge waiting lists or are underfunded mm. or you know oh, uh, you know a participant who so let's take your area you know being a therapist you know in, in in the US obviously someone signs up and they pay for a therapist and obviously we can do that here but if there's someone who needs therapy or needs counseling or needs CBT or something like that they will go to their GP their general practitioner their local doctor they will get signed onto a service and that service for certain things in certain areas could be up to a year that they're waiting for something and that's just purely down to the fact that the nhs is underfunded for mental health um, and don't we don't have enough staff and we don't have enough things that are out there to access for free and that's the clincher the free part because everybody can access anything privately and pay for it um most people don't have the money to do that and so what I basically am trying to do in lots of different areas with lots of different hats, like you say, is do that Robin Hood element, you know, like who is willing to give me money? What charities are out there that are giving funds away that I can then put back into services so that people don't have to pay for something that they normally mm-hmm. would have to pay for? So a, a weird sort of individualized uh, example of that is part of a 12 week self-development program that I run in the middle of that self-development program for two or three weeks at different points. I give them a break from me and I bring in a professional psychologist to talk on a certain subject. And that psychologist will be someone I trust for a start who knows my background, knows why I'm doing it, but also knows what will hit home with local men, basically, because they're very local and they're very understanding of the situation in the community. And they deliver something and it just gives that credo of this is someone who is a professional who I would normally not get access to unless I paid for their services. And I would normally not get access to without waiting a long time until I do get it and by then things could have changed god forbid you know things could have changed for the worse and that's probably why there's a lot of kind of that suicide stats that people throw around quite a lot in men is that they can't access the support they need um, it's as simple as that so I'm hoping to sort of make big changes in the area with that and what we hope to lo- what we hope to do long term five ten years down the line is counties in the UK that are doing similar things great but there are some counties in the UK who are doing nothing like this and I'd like to take the model and kind of go here's a ready-made model that works now you implement it in your county kind of thing and I think at that stage hopefully there's enough money that will be going through it it's a non-profit but there'll be enough money going through it that somebody else can take it on for me and I can take a step back and, and just see it working you know so yeah, I definitely hear your heart and passion in that, John. And mm. it's interesting when you you know you talk about the free services as well as the paid for services. And we have, at least in my experience within California, we kind of have that too, where um, people have insurance, like medical insurance, and some depending on the insurance provider. Which is, do you have different insurance providers you guys we pay do, for? Or is yeah, it kind of a national thing? It's na- the national, well, the National Health Service NHS is pretty much everybody can access that. But we do have private services and insurances okay. as well. So we have private. There's Boopers, a big one, for example, BUPA. Um, okay. and people can pay insurance so that they can get immediate private 
services so this can be like anything physical mental whatever they can get access to it straight away you know a big big operation for example if you need something done straight away you may still have to wait on the nhs um so yeah it's just one of those situations where you can pay for that yeah okay okay so we kind of it's kind of like that although it sounds like i think nhs is a little we don't have really well we kind of do a little bit like medicare for all i guess Mm. would be closest but it's not even close from what i understand with how the nhs works um or the obamacare that yeah, that came out for us in the states, which is still not the same. No. So we have insurers specifically around mental health, where people have different plans, and some plans, some insurance providers will provide in their insurance. Um, they call it in network, right. and certain therapists can then sign up and be on a panel. It's called to then be in network to then take that insurance money. Um, and so we have that. And then we also have some other programs that provide more mental health. And that, that's, it's crazy to hear that for people who need it, who have, who maybe are on the NHS plan, who might need therapy, may have to wait up to a year. Mm. But you're right. Often if someone's asking for help now, you know, if they're depressed, for example, as a classic example, if they're depressed, if they yeah. have major depressive disorder or if they're in a major depressive episode. Mm. A year is a long time to yeah, wait, and typically yeah. in that case, you're going to get worse. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people don't. They naturally get through it, and they it's like a season. They kind of come out, but that's a that's a long – that could be very dangerous. Um, yeah, and there's, there's, in our local area and I think across the UK, actually, there's crisis teams. So, okay. you know, if there is a suicidal moment or you're deemed to be at that level of kind yeah. of um, needing that immediate support, there are crisis teams that are on – that are able to come and see you, that are trained in that area, they're able to talk to you over the phone. All of these teams and processes, um, in my eyes and from my experience and certainly from feedback that I've spoke to in our local community at least, um, first of all, the the thresholds are quite, there's quite a big mix and quite a big sort of disparity. So, you know, like you say, you can be depressed and essentially you're, you're treated here when really mm-hmm. you could be treated here. It's just all about knowing more about this, but they don't spend enough time knowing about this. So, you know, it can basically mean that you go straight away to that level um, and it's too late kind of thing. Or yeah. also that people are rejected from the crisis teams because they're deemed to be not of a level of needing that support yeah. um, when they think they are. Mm-hmm. Um and for whatever reason, they don't tick a box that's right, you know. And unfortunately, we see a lot of, I guess, kind of like negative perceptions of this because it just plays out in the negative, you know, way, basically, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And there's some really great resources out here. You know, I'm not the only one doing it. We have some really great stuff in the local area. And I just try and bring them all together just so that everybody knows there's one stop, you know, one stop. Mm-hmm. My, my website, which is about to launch, will have like this filterable area that's so simple to see because obviously the generalization is men need it in two short sentences, what they're going to find next kind of thing, you know, rather than getting lost in a website, which, you know, it's a horrible sweeping generalization, but it's true. There's science there to say that men will switch mm-hmm. off from getting support unless they're told immediately what they need you know i've been there geez i was i'm, I'm literally an example of that um mm. so yeah it's going to be sort of easy to access and they can click on it and go and get that support straight away and look if there isn't the right thing out there you know we, we want we want to hear from people to say look i couldn't find what i was wanting in your service um and we will address that you know as much as we can so yeah that's mm. where i'm at really and that, that's something that I think we need more of here in the States, like a, a program like that. And I think some, some people are starting things, but it's, it's tough, you know, mm. trying to get funding and Tell me about um, it. we have some, we have, I work for 
you know, I, I work in both the private and the insured, you know, sectors for mental health. Obviously, in private, people can afford that fee, and that's great. And it's different, kind of sometimes a different clientele um, coming in. And and as far as severity goes, and then also work in the more severe people who can't have more severe struggles with mental illness and seeing they need help. And then there's sometimes that disparity between the two: people who maybe have more milder symptoms, right, mm. who aren't bad enough yet, mm. which is sad to say. Mm. Um, at least within my, the, when I work with the insured, they call it something called medical necessity. So it's a very medical model. Like mm. I could see why they do it um, that way on one hand that, mm. okay, we, we need to serve the people who have, who really need it, like in yeah. that severe, more moderate to severe where they really are struggling. They're like they can't go to work, you know, they can't function. They, they can't go to school. Like it's yeah. affecting their whole life. Like that's what we're trying to serve. And I could see, Hey, we need to prioritize them. But then mm. there's also the people who aren't, who have mild, who can develop into that, but they're not yeah. there yet. So yeah. it's that's, think, that's the eternal battle, isn't it? It's kind of like, especially for me, you know, I, I'm kind of trying to hit so many different audiences and serve so many different people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got a schools project. We're trying to get more preventative so that we basically teach people more about what's going on. So right. what I try and do in my posts and my content for Mentor Links is really sort of um, kind of trying to get straight to the heart, straight to the brain of people and get them thinking. Because if people can understand things and be more aware of what's going on anyway, you know, really kind of basic stuff, but actually more kind of relatable rather than just, you know, like you say, medically or, or kind of like a, where it's a disconnected sort of terminology. If people can mm-hmm. understand it from a real person who's been through certain things. Um, then they'll connect to it. They'll probably learn mm-hmm. more. They'll probably find out more. And if they are in that mild bracket, then they'll know where to access and what to mm-hmm. do potentially, or even just self-help, yeah. you know, within that sort of area. So yeah. hopefully and, we can get in that way. Yeah. And I think the education is, is key. And, and some of those milder people who are in some, some of that milder category can get self-help i mean they really yeah. can but this is it's that education piece and so you know with the people who are more moderate severe in that in industry i work in I, I can understand why we do it again because of it's the supply and demand and i think some people they do get frustrated and i can see their frustration mm. i haven't heard of anyone having to wait a year here that that's atrocious to me but mm. that that I can't even imagine um, someone who's really needing it and waiting a year because it's ha- they're so understaffed. And but we have a similar problem too, where it, it, I work for a pretty big HMO, and you know the wait times are big because the supply and the demand, the demand yeah. of needing therapy, but the supply of therapists, mm. and so it creates this, you know, <laughs> yeah, this just funnel. And it's not a year, thankfully, but you know, people can wait up to a couple, you know, a couple weeks to get an appointment and then sometimes a follow up after the very first kind of assessment session. Mm. Sometimes it could be a month, you yeah, know, two months. And so it's kind of a unless they're severe, and then we're kind of getting them in and, and doing yeah. more of at least in the medical model. And so it's kind of a hard it is hard because there's this against the, this, the supply of therapists and the demand for the need is it doesn't match and so we're at least in that world i've found we're trying to we're doing our best to try and serve but also knowing that there's a mountain coming at us and we're you know a small crew trying to to deal with this whole thing coming our way and yeah that's the worst part that's the worst part i think you've really got I, i've 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 learned ways to detach a little bit and i have to detach you know from a personal perspective because mm-hmm. you know if i could i would do it all right now but you really have to walk before you can run and just help who you can and, and mm-hmm. what you can and, and try not to dwell too much on the the factors we spoke about, you know, the, the disparities, the the tick box exercises, the official nature of lack of funding and all that kind of thing. It's like, you know, this is why I did it in the community and this is why I stepped back from doing national father's mental health support and all that kind of thing. Because if you step back and you work together, you know, one person who's a neighbor to another person, you, you see change straight away. You don't need someone to tell you what you're doing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I 
I've set this up as a community interest company, which is a limited company basically here in the UK. And we're not a charity. We're not bound by a commission. And we can take charitable funds, which is great. And we're a nonprofit, which is even better. But we don't get told what we do. I decide what we do. Um, what What's great about that is, you know, we can do whatever um, we want. And essentially what I want to do is empower people to help each other. Mm. Um, I don't want to, um, <laughs> I don't want to be the God, the Messiah to this in our local area. <laughs> I want to be mm. known for bringing people together. Um, mm. And if, and that's not an ego thing. Like I want people to know my name so that I can connect them to someone else. That's what I want to know. And, and I've already had that. I've had people come into me go, going, you know, you're the guy from Mentor Links. Can you point me in the direction of someone who has severe OCD? Mm. And I did. I facilitated a coffee chat between two guys who had bad OCD, you know, mm. and that's just so rewarding. And, and that's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. I think we need more of that here. And, I, and I'm sure there is. I just don't know them all. I mean, but I, yeah. I don't think there's a lot of that going on here. With, and that is really where people can get helped is that relational piece of, hey, someone else is struggling. You know, here you go. Here's a relationship. We have something called, you know, NAMI, right? National um, Association of Mental Illness, right? It's mm. a there's a website. I'm, and is NAMI over there in the UK or is that the only uh, US thing? I, I think don't it's know. the um, BMI or some, BM something or that's British sort of side of things. But yeah, I know what you mean. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we have that and people often, a lot of people don't know about that, but they have groups too for different, such an array of mental illnesses mm. for families like to support to the actual person. And so we do have that, but it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, I think some, sometimes it's, it's a, an access thing of it's this online thing. It's not local. I mean, it can be, but it, sometimes it could feel so disconnected Yeah. Um, versus, oh, there's a, there's a face. Cause it is, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a company. It's a, it's, they do a lot of great work, mm. but it is kind of like not personal, at least in the beginning. So it can feel like this, this leap to then jump into this, yeah. oh, I'm going to go to a group and Mm. you know this thing on this website and they do this and you know i'm kind of <laughs> nervous versus i think what you're doing which again we could use more of is that relational connecting of there's a yeah. face this is the community and it's within your little community where people get you know it's like oh we know each other and we can support each other in this and learn from each other yeah. and also get the help if i need you know take a class or education or see a therapist or practitioner and then get better yeah, I, I, that's so, such a wonderful thing that you guys are doing over there, and, and you. Uh, you know we could definitely learn a thing or two over here to to yeah. to, to guess, bolster kind of our community and what we have going on. Yeah, I guess I guess what I realized when I was going through my journey personally, and also when I started the Instagram actually, was that the power of relatability is huge. Um, mm. You know, during my my own mental health journey, the biggest changes that I managed to make was when I related to the counselor I had, the therapist I had, or the people who I sp was speaking to, because that is that is so powerful and i and i kind of could never really put my finger on why i think it was more a case of you don't feel alone um as simple as that sounds it's not simple um especially when you're in your mindset and you think you're alone it's natural to think you're alone and then yeah just taking it into the instagram side of things i knew that it would do something but i didn't realize how powerful it would be when it was a man behind this account you know talking mm -hmm. about being a dad yeah and it's just yeah you're right the relatability side of it is the reason why i want to do this um you know we want everybody to just be able to relate to each other you know i'm not gonna be able to help you know person x person y because i can't relate to them but i can put them in the position of meeting someone who can you know so mm. that's what it's about I love that. You're right. It's so you could, you are kind of that signpost, right? That you yeah. said you're the, you're the connector. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're seeing, okay, I can't relate to them, but these people can, and they don't know each other. They yeah. don't know. Mm -hmm. And if I just do this, they can now help each other yeah. way better than maybe I could reach them. And that's, I mean, you have obviously that vision. It sounds like the capacity to see and, and the heart as well, the vision yeah. and the heart and the personal experience to see, okay, yeah, that not being alone is a key thing. And that is such a, that's the one thing I get when I was running men's therapy groups 
really any therapy groups too. I ran men's groups and also just kind of mixed groups. But one common theme that anyone attending one of my groups would say is, yeah, I don't feel alone. You know, yeah. it's that, that's, and it's, it seems small and simple mm. and it kind of is that it's simple, but extremely powerful yeah. and life-changing because it just takes this whole weight off of like, yeah. okay, I'm not the only one. There's people here that can relate. And it kind of just like, you can kind of breathe and when people feel that they then start to connect. And then even, even just not being alone and knowing that a lot of people found significant relief mm-hmm. of their symptoms, of their emotional weight and heaviness yeah because of that and it really can be very freeing just to just to talk about it and have someone say oh yeah yeah i totally get that like i understand i've been there or mm. i'm in there right now and that just is just like this relief of people feeling seen yeah. heard you know validated in their experience mm. um and and yeah that that so i wanted to for sure just kind of second that of that is such a key component yeah. And so it's massive. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And mm. and uh it's definitely something I get all the time when, mm. when people are in groups. So to shift a bit, I'm wondering, as you mentioned earlier, you said my mental health journey. Could you mm. speak a little bit about that and sure and uh yeah. share on that one? So I, I I it's a funny story because when I explain my story, I have to kind of uh go back to the start of my journey, but then also kind of recognize that the majority of what I've learned in the last seven or eight years since I started my mental health journey has been 30 years of effects, you know, 30 years of whatever's been going on that I've only just realized over the last seven or eight years that has been happening. So it's a little bit tricky to understand. It's not as simple as point A took me to point B kind of thing. Um, Basically, yeah, about seven or eight years ago, so maybe just late 20s, I was having uh, a lot of migraines and physical health problems. And I had a cardiac arrest at work due to stress, um, Mm. which everybody was a bit shocked at. And I was given the all clear and my heart wasn't damaged. It was just completely out of the blue. Um, And I, um, it gave me a sort of a kick up the bum to sort of realize that I needed to sort of have a look at my health a little bit. Um, I wasn't completely unhealthy. I was very average, I guess. Um, But it, it took me to the doctors to ask about my migraines that were quite severe. And I used to think that migraines were hereditary. Um, and my doctor sort of turned around and said, migraines aren't hereditary. There's, there's, there's head illnesses that are hereditary, but you know, there's common headaches and migraines. They're not hereditary. They're down to culture and your, your sort of diet and, and things like that. And, and I sort of said, okay, well, that's sort of already sort of flummoxed me and give me sort of quite a lot of confusion. Um, what's wrong with my head then? So he was like wanting to prescribe me antidepressants because he thought that my frontal lobe was firing and the synapses were going crazy and it was all to do with stress, etc. Um, and by this point, my brother and my mum had been through severe men- mental health problems majority of their life. Um, and I'd kind of been around them, obviously, and been involved in their lives. And I'd not really believed in mental health. I kind of always thought that they were, uh, this is going to sound quite horrible, um, but I don't mean it horribly, but they were always quite sort of just just uh, negative people and hmm. you know just over worrying uh, things like that um i later found out that their mental health problems were due to their own personal traumas and i uh, later found out that a lot of it had developed into uh, narcissistic tendencies and narcissistic ab- abusive tendencies outwardly um so uh, at this point I was kind of like I don't believe in it all don't think it exists it can't be antidepressants I don't want to take them because they'll change the way I am and all that kind of thing so I tried it because migraines got too bad and I didn't like how they made me feel so I stopped taking them and the doctor said go and see a counsellor we'll put you on a waiting list for a counsellor so this kind of links to what we were saying earlier um, because I then waited another sort of at the time it was like a three month wait so the, the waiting lists are a lot longer now than they used to be um, 
but it was about a three month wait for counseling. And I didn't really want to go by the time the three months came over because I was like, I, I, my migraines were subsiding a little bit and I was going through a better time in my life. And, um, but I thought I'll go anyway, you know, I've got these appointments now. So I nervously went along and, you know, the first few sessions I didn't really enjoy, I didn't really open up at all. And then somehow the counselor got through to me like they're supposed to. Um, and the doors opened and the floodgates opened of kind of mm. just everything that I'd bottled up over the last however many years. And what I realized at the start of that journey was that I compartmentalized a lot of my life and I'd literally mm. boxed it all away and locked it all away. What I realized fast, fast forward in a couple of years and two or three years is that my mental health journey then went on a bit of a roller coaster as I started to learn more about myself, you know, massive lows, massive highs, uh, started to try and reconnect with my emotional spectrum essentially because I realized I had no emotions I realized I'd boxed up boxed away my emotions and, and that was a defense mechanism from lots of things that had happened to me in my past and you know I'd, I'd essentially had a lot of situations and, and, and days in my life where I'd had the joy taken out of them by other people and I just def- decided to defend myself by not feeling joy and not being able to feel it and the same the other way you know somebody died or somebody had cancer you know I wouldn't feel any sadness I wouldn't feel any negativity I'd just go into like operational mode I need to support this person I need to help this person no emotion like people would mm-hmm. say you're so strong you're such a strong individual no I wasn't strong I was weak I was completely mm-hmm. weak I cut myself off to that ability to be strong um which I know now um and essentially yeah the sort of culmination of that I'm still a I'm still I'm still working on myself I'm still very much a work in progress of course but I've learned so much more about myself I'm more connected to my emotions I'm more present in a day I've learned a lot about my problems and issues that I've had over the years and I've learned that they've stemmed from a lot of um kind of emotional abuse that I've had from different family members over the years where I've been sort of taken for a ride um been kind of controlled a lot um and quite severely in some instances they'd had too much control over my life in in certain different areas so my mum for example my mother that she was um abused as a child and um that that was quite daunt like quite sort of hard on her um and through our childhood she was a great mother and i'll never take that away from her um but as it sort of transpired when my mum and dad split up and my dad moved away my mum capitulated she completely collapsed into this kind of trauma-led kind of um kind of shell of herself um and almost like she just reconnected with what she was really what was really going on underneath but that kind of morphed into this kind of narcissistic victim persona um and essentially all of us kind of knew it um and we all circled around and tried to support it um and every single one of us got to a point where we just couldn't support it anymore um and so now we all keep we all well i guess i don't know what the other people are doing now my brother and sister and stuff but what i decided was i'll keep her at arm's length um Mm. and then arm's length become too close because I had my daughter my priorities changed and at the same time she was trying to control my life with my daughter in my life which was quite a a fractious situation nonetheless Mm. so um, I really had to take action to it's harsh to say it this way because I didn't actually do it this way but it just transpired that I cut her out of my life and she cut me out of my life and you know since though since that's happened so over the last couple of years a lot of soul searching a lot of thinking about it and reflecting has made me realize that essentially my mother is has been the catalyst to 30 years of of pain that i've been going through um mm. you know it's not always been her direct fault but the relationship that we had was toxic and it was hard on on me and probably hard on her as well but essentially you've got to look after yourself first and i think that you know it's 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 a lot of stuff to unpick and unravel and a lot of pick stuff to try and change and i still have moments where i slip back into that way of what I used to be and you know that non-connected non-emotional uh angry person aggressive person at times that you know uh, snappy uh highly strung you know I, I i used to be very i used to be a walking contradiction and you know i used to be so relaxed all the time to people that people would just think i was really chilled 
but mm. then people who know me would think that I would, would know that I'm panicking about everything and anxious about everything. And then in truth, mm. underneath it all, I'm neither of them. Like I'm something completely different that was just hiding away. It's just masks. It was masks and sort of like whatever it was, personas that mm. I was putting on for people. Um, mm. So yeah, the start of my journey kind of realized that I'd been living a life for however long. So 15, 20 years of my adult life, I was living a life. And I just decided to reclaim that, um, which yeah. which has been a big journey. But yeah, that's the kind of potted cliff notes. <laughs> yeah. To hear that even the cliff note version of the story it, it still holds tremendous power. Understanding more about trauma and seeing, okay, my mom is a byproduct of her trauma. And then in a way, whether it was intentional or not, I experienced an amount of kind of emotional trauma and disconnect yeah. and then coming to a point later, and this will probably be the next thing I want to hear about is that you, you did your own work, got mm -hmm. more connected with your emotions and realized I actually really wasn't strong. I was weak. I was terrified of emotions, but it was mm -hmm. a way of coping. It was a way of survival. Yeah. That's how I survived is just to kind of shut that part out, you know, compartmentalize and just, mm. just keep functioning. And which is a lot of the stories of a lot of men, um, right. Is that, shut it down and just do things and yeah. get things done and, and be a worker and, and keep trucking along, keep, mm. keep soldiering on whatever analogy you want to use. And, but then all the while there's like this kind of dead, this kind of pressure building. Yeah. Right. And weight building that eventually comes out yep. and eventually finds its way out. Sometimes, uh, you know, and, and it could range <laughs> from having a panic attack to, yeah maybe possibly migraines, maybe we're linked to it and yeah. our bodies react. And, and then coming to a point after doing your own journey, realizing, okay, I need to make some changes and realizing even in relationship with my mother, I might need to kind of change that dynamic and understand mm. that I might still love and care for her. And I also might need to change the nature of the relationship due to its current level of health slash unhealth. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like what changed that is I'm now a father. Yeah. I now have a child. Mm. And so that shifted for you. Of, okay, I have a I have a child now, and mm. I've done a lot of my own work, and I'm seeing there's this dynamic that I'm not okay with, yeah. and I want to maybe. It sounds like that's what was the change for you. Of you know, there's something here that I I want to protect and yeah, keep safe. Is that kind of what that was? was yeah, it, it certainly ramped it up. So um, essentially, I was probably making positive strides already with my mom and and making sort of positive strides with my family, but they were taking a while. It was it was hard to get through to them. It was hard to make decisions. It was hard to uh, I guess it was hard to um, control my feelings on the whole situation. And I say control lightly there because it isn't about control. It's about allowance of your feelings and um, and not let the narcissist win by fighting fire with fire. You know, it was that was quite a hard thing for me to do generally, and I would slip backwards and forwards to doing it one minute I'd have a massive argument the next minute I'd be like I need to compose myself and I was aware of it um and I think yeah having my daughter was like yeah that's it now like I'm no longer I don't have any fire for you anymore to fight you so uh my fire needs to go towards keeping this baby alive and fighting for her and being mm. as great as I can for her and all of my energy needs to go to that you don't get that anymore so you have an option you can be part of my life understanding that and understanding that my fire is for her and i can still connect with you and i can still be in a relationship with you on my terms and in a way that serves me and you um or um you can continue wanting it your way and all towards you and i am not part of that anymore um, and mm. essentially that's what happened latter, unfortunately. Um, mm. And I don't blame my mum for any of it. Just going back to what you said about, you know, the, the sort of byproduct of, um, of trauma and stuff. Like I understand that to a point, and I've spoken to family members about this. And I understand that in a way it's not her fault. In a way, none of it is her fault. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't justify 
any any of her actions. It doesn't allow them to be acceptable. Mm. Um, and that's not that she should be punished for it. It's that she should understand, or I would want her to understand, the implications of her actions to a point of the pain that's caused. Mm. And her ability or lack of ability to be able to do that was the major thing. So yeah. um, we weren't going to progress until she ever does that. And I don't think she ever will. You know, she's in her 60s. It's hard to change. You know, an old dog can't learn new tricks. And, you know, it's um, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. I think with regards to that, you know, um, I could wax lyrical for ages, but um, the only um, hard part of it is feeling like you don't have a mother anymore. Like that's the only part, hard part of it. And I say that I say that lightly, and it's not a light thing because it comes out every now and then, and it, I get a pang of feeling like I don't have a family and all that kind of thing. And it's sad, but it's sad mm. for it's sad for the thing. It's not mm. sad for the people because yeah. I've done the right thing. It's the best decision I ever made in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I don't say that lightly. It's mm. just that the whole kind of like dynamic missing is mm. is worrying. I mean, my daughter's getting to an age now where she's asking more questions and. She asked last night, she sort of said, you know, um, I can't remember what she exactly said, but she said, you know, something about like, where did daddy come from? You know, compared to like, where did mummy come from? Because obviously mummy mm. came from grandma and grandy because my wife's mm-hmm. uh, dad's called Andy. So it's grandy. Um, mm. uh, and where did daddy come from? And I kind of just skirted over it and I went Mars, you know, another planet kind of thing and just made a joke around it. But in my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to have this conversation soon. Like, she has my, she has my dad. She has her granddad. And we call mm-hmm. my uh, stepmom Grandma Sharon. Um, but um, I am going to have to explain to her that she doesn't have a traditional grandma and, you know, stuff like that in the future. And that's that's kind of the only hard thing um, because I've definitely it's definitely a – if you're going to weigh up pros and cons and be practical about it, there's a lot more pros to this situation. So. Yeah. And I think what I'm hearing is it sounds an awful lot like you're in a grieving period, grieving the Mm. loss of the mother that you maybe needed or wanted and and also the acceptance of who she currently is. Like Mm. knowing this is the reality in which we live, that acceptance, not that like, I always think of the term of radical acceptance, right? It's not that you like the situation, but it's more of an acknowledgement of the current reality saying, okay, yes, I love my mother and I can understand her story of maybe why she is the way she is due to her trauma and due to her upbringing and her behaviors. However, comma, it does not justify and say that her certain behaviors are inappropriate or damaging or hurtful. Mm. So it's that is that tension of holding. I'm hearing of I could acknowledge this reality, acknowledge that there's some hurt, say, yes, I can understand this and knowing how trauma can affect people. And I could also have healthy boundaries saying, but it doesn't mean I'm just going to let her to continue to be unhealthy to me, yeah. to my daughter. Mm. Um, because that's not healthy. That creates no. more trauma, more pain. And so it's that hard decision of saying, I need to change this um, and and give her an option, this kind of boundary of we can do this or this. And mm. I'm not going to be mad at you, mm. right? Because mm. it sounds like you've gone through a journey of maybe having that anger, but now coming full circle. And oh, maybe yeah. you haven't, but of like more of an empathy and understanding. Yeah. And, and then grieving that now saying, yes, this is the best thing. And it is still sad. It's sad because yeah. this is not what I wanted as a kid. Of course, I, if I were to ask you, would you want to have an awesome relationship with your mom and her to be there and be supportive? You'd probably say oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah of <laughs> because of course, we, we want that. We want we want relationship. Yeah, it's well, it's, it's like built into us. Yeah, it's yeah, natural. Yeah. We want to be close. We're mm. wired that way. Mm. And then realizing, oh, man, I don't get that. That is that grieving period of and, yeah. and every time. And that's the thing with grief, too. It's a... It's often a an ongoing process. Yeah. It's, I don't know if it's yeah. ever fully completed. We yeah. we get. I think I'm set up know. for that never ending. 
grief with this. Um, I'm yeah. set up for that, and I'm fine with that to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just think there's going to be hard times along the way. But again, I weigh up, and I say, mm-hmm. look, if she was here and I was fighting for this relationship, there'd be hard times every day, every week. So mm-hmm. it, in a way, I've defended myself. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm used to defending myself across my whole life in a different way. I feel mm-hmm. like this is the first time I've made a big defensive decision that's healthy. And I'm justifying that because of my daughter, and it's been a fantastic catalyst. And my wife, she's a fantastic um, influence, sounding board. Um, hmm. She doesn't know it. She, she's completely innocent to, to this kind of thing. Um, but I guess our relationship's so great that we connect so well that she can um, essentially kind of simplify things for me so easily um so yeah it's just yeah that's 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 the kind of my story and uh, like i say cliff note version of my story i I'm more than happily talk more about it but yeah this yeah. is a dad podcast <laughs> so, this is a dad podcast yeah dad well it's a dad plus mental health right yeah, it's both yeah, yeah, so yeah. um i appreciate that you know that vulnerability and sharing a bit of your you know giving light to that yeah. component of being a dad of being a man of mm, saying okay this mm. is something that did affect me that yeah. you know that i made a decision to look at myself look inward and i'm here now because of it mm. and also now having a being a dad mm. beginning to raise a child it's having me see things differently than prior to doing this journey I've gone that if anything that sounds like that journey has really gotten you to a place of seeing okay the necessity for taking care of yourself to understanding yourself and how impactful we are and can be to our children for better for worse yeah that I don't want to replicate maybe some of the stuff that was caused to me and trying to change that narrative right Mm, that's what I'm hearing is okay I want to make sure that I can raise my daughter in a way that I could of course not gonna be perfect no one is but if I can eliminate some of those significant traumas and learn and grow from the past I could really do a much better more healthier job so then when she's an adult we have a relationship and I'm not acting out of a narcissistic defense due to my own trauma, but I'm actually more fully healed. Yeah. I'm more fully connected to yeah. myself, mom, you know, mind, body, soul, mm. or whatever you want to say. And then I'm teaching that to my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. That's it. Thanks for joining and listening today. Please leave a comment and review the show. Dads are tough, but not tough enough to do this fatherhood thing alone.